This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Lonnie's Discount Muffler and Ribs Studio in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. Also, consider our Patreon, patreon.com slash districtsentinel. Every day, our studio is named Lonnie's Discount Muffler and Ribs. Uh, It makes me want ribs even more. I have been craving ribs more and more every day that our studio is named what it is. And I still haven't had them yet. We'll get some by the end of the month. There's no way we can keep this up for a month without going to get some ribs. Should have brought you some birthday ribs today. That's right. You should have. It's your birthday. Happy birthday. I did enjoy the birthday tacos, though. (laughs) I'm looking forward to finishing recording of the show so we could do birthday dabs and birthday (laughs) birthday cake. (laughs) I'm now trying to imagine a birthday cake with ribs as the candles. And you could make it work. Sure. You would just need, uh, you know, like, um, uh, you know, those old timey when they uh, uh, put the goop on the torch and then the, on the stick and they light it and it's a torch. Yeah. You could goop up an end <laughs> of ribs and or you could just dip them in rubbing alcohol. Is this probably... what you is this what you're asking for for your birthday next year? Is this what you want? Maybe you want birthday cake with rib candles. A meatloaf, a meatloaf with ribs sticking out. I'll try to remember to make this happen for you. Steve King took the Mueller dad 69 date. <laughs> so did Starbucks themselves. So did Star. Well, sort of, <laughs> sort of. I think Starbucks, they were trying to ignore it for as long as they could. But this morning. All right. So I guess we should start at the beginning for in case. Yeah, explain who Muller Dad 69 is. So Muller Dad 69 is Chris, one of the co-hosts of the podcast Eat the Rich. A Uh, good pod. Very good pod. Full disclosure, I was a guest uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, I don't know why I felt like I need to say full disclosure, but whatever. Anyway, so Chris tweeted out a few weeks ago that he was the manager of a Starbucks in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that he was firing employees who were who were telling customers Merry Christmas, specifically <laughs> openly admitting uh, that he was doing this because he hates uh, conservatives and Christians. And despite everything, a lot of people took the bait, including <laughs> Congressman Steve King, who uh, tweeted a screen cap of a screen cap and said, wow. Wow. And, uh, With the facepalm emoji. Yeah, so... He just admitted it. He just, he just straight he up admitted it. He amazed that the, uh, that the franchise owner or whatever manager would just admit to doing this. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Business Insider reported on this. So did The Hill. And... Uh, yeah, Muller Dad sixty nine making the news and uh, lost his I, Twitter account as lo- a result. Lost his Twitter account. Lost his his uh, alt Twitter account. Actually, the Eat the Rich Twitter account was nuked too. Really? Wow. Which is weird because uh, I've heard of other people posting from podcast accounts <laughs> when their other accounts are banned. <laughs> <laughs> I, we're next. 
We're, no, we're not next because <laughs> we're next once you get banned again. <laughs> All right, let's do this. It's Tuesday, December 17th, 2019. Here's the news. We begin with impeachment news. The House Rules Committee convened today to set the parameters of debate around the impeachment resolution, which is set to be considered before the full House on Wednesday, which is tomorrow. Now, how the Senate will ultimately handle that resolution has already gotten contentious. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Minority Leader Chuck Schumer clashed on the Senate floor Tuesday over how the trial of the president will be conducted in the upper chamber. McConnell rejected Schumer's request for more witnesses to testify during the Senate trial. Namely, Schumer wanted the Senate to hear from at least White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, Mulvaney's advisor Robert Blair, former National Security Advisor John Bolton, and OMB official Michael Duffy, all individuals with direct knowledge of the Ukrainian affair, all individuals whose testimony was requested in the House but who refused to show up. Schumer also called on McConnell to issue subpoenas for administration documents related to the scandal. Here was McConnell, though, on the Senate floor today, rejecting that request, making the rather odd argument that the time for witnesses has passed. It's not the Senate's job to leap into the breach and search desperately for ways to get to guilty. That would hardly be impartial justice. Oh, yes. Bringing uh, witnesses would be leaping into the breach to find a reason to convict. The time-honored tradition of not having witnesses at a trial. Obviously, Senator Schumer was unsatisfied with the majority leader's response. But let me say this. I listened to the leader's speech. I did not hear a single sentence, a single argument as to why the witnesses I suggested should not give testimony. Impeachment trials, like most trials, have witnesses. To have none would be an aberration. So for now, no witnesses during the Senate trial of the president, who is set to be impeached on Wednesday. That could change, though, as Democratic senators will be able to offer motions for witness testimony, which Republicans would then be forced to vote down. Though Schumer's gambit could succeed should just four Republicans agree that a witness should be heard from. The Senate moved a step toward confirming a child as one of the most powerful people in the U.S. government. The Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee voted to report the nomination of Paul Ray as head of the Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs, or OIRA. Obviously, I am only kidding when I describe Ray as a child, but not by much. He finished undergrad in 2008 and law school in 2011. He was 33 years old in October. Oira might that's younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you feel bad that you're not like a top government let me, official. Let, let me know when he's hosting a hit podcast. <laughs> let me know when we're hosting a hit podcast. He, uh, To be fair, I'm basically his age too. So you shouldn't feel that bad. I am also... A fail son but this isn't about us okay this guy should probably not be in this position oira might be one of the most important obscure agencies within the u.s government the agency reviews policy across government including agencies draft regulation proposals it's part of the white house office of management and budget unsurprisingly ray's resume reads like he was a cast in a movie as guy in charge of closing every rec center in the country his brief legal career includes a clerkship for right-wing Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito, 
He also served as an aide to Alexander Acosta before Acosta resigned as labor secretary after news reports highlighted how, as a federal prosecutor, Acosta helped Jeffrey Epstein secure a sweetheart deal. Love to have worked for Alexander Acosta on the resume. The one silver lining is that Ray has already been head of OIRA since March, and society hasn't yet collapsed. We should note, however, that the Trump administration has been cagey about letting senators know what Ray has actually done already while at OIRA. This is Gary Peters, the top Homeland Security Dem from today's hearing. And in order to thoroughly evaluate Mr. Ray's qualifications, we have asked him to provide information about his tenure. But for nearly two months, uh, OMB, specifically its Office of General Counsel, has refused to engage in the accommodation process regarding these requests. And while I appreciate that some initial progress has been made in, in just recent days, it took weeks uh, and a letter signed by all of the minority members of this committee just to start a dialogue. And that's, that's simply unacceptable. So Milton Friedman, Doogie Hauser is going to be confirmed as a top government official. Republicans seem cool, obscuring what little record he has. This sounds totally chill. The top Republican on the committee dismissed concerns by saying, Basically, imagine Ray is actually running a private company as if he's not being hired to lord over 300 million plus people. Here's Ron Johnson from Wisconsin sounding like his brain is clogged with cheese curds. I hired a lot of people in the private sector. Other than what's your background, and I take a look at that, I never asked anybody 147 questions, and that's when I'm actually spending my own money to pay that individual to do some work. (laughs) unbelievable you know he's actually he's pretty close johnson is pretty close to getting it if ray wants to be hired with no scrutiny he should just fuck off to the private sector agreed for the second day in a row got some news about the u.s postal service yeah uh, well actually this probably isn't good well yeah not really In a detailed report on Tuesday, the Government Accountability Office described how the post office has been fiscally squeezed tighter and tighter in recent years, with most of the sacrifices falling on its laborers. Thanks to the advice of neoliberal shills at the McKinsey Group, literally Pete Buttigieg, the post office has been hyper-focused on reducing what's called the last-mile delivery costs. Those are the costs associated with the final stage of delivering a letter or package to a mailbox, stuff like letter carrier wages and benefits and vehicle purchasing and renting and maintenance. In 2018, these costs totaled $21.1 billion, or 29% of the post office's budget. So between 2008 and 2014, the post office, as GAO reported, attempted to cut costs on that last mile by expanding its non-career workforce and reducing employee work hours by consolidating operations and employee attrition. During those years, non-career employees grew by 13% at the post office, clerk and mail processing employees' costs dropped more than 24%, and total USPS employee hours dropped significantly. Now, the final squeeze is in for the postal workers. The latest GAO report explores ways the post office could raise revenue, and not through actual good ideas like postal banking, but by contracting out postal worker labor to do other stuff. Mm. For example, postal workers can be used by the city to report unusual mail accumulation, what could be a sign of distress at a home, GAO says. Use mail carriers to be the couriers of medicine in the event of a biological attack. Well, uh, 
The post office already worked with DARPA on this in a pilot project. What? J.O. notes that the post office was reimbursed almost $49,000 for the work, which is the equivalent of the post office selling blood to make ends meet. <laughs> Look, I, I like the noble letter carrier. Uh, I'm not sure I want to rely on postal workers to be the first responders in the event of a biological attack. Yeah, yeah, it's wild stuff. Uh, mail carriers uh, could also collect data for road maintenance, keep an eye out for potholes and stuff. Again, we should Fuck have this, other man. people in our society doing this while our mail carriers are paid enough and can just deliver the mail. This sucks. The post office could also sell the vast amounts of data it has on hand to other federal agencies. This it has already done. USPS received about $47,000 for supplying data to Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service and HUD in 2018. Now that is actually like selling blood if you are the post office. Some of these ideas aren't terrible, I'd say, but none of them really get to the heart of what's really wrong with the post office. One of the main reasons it's in such poor fiscal shape is poison pill legislation passed by Congress in 2006 that required the service to set aside $5 billion a year to fund a benefits program for people who haven't been born yet. They had to pre-fund a program 75 years out into the future, a requirement that falls on no other government agency or corporation ever. A requirement contained in legislation, though, that was heavily lobbied for by private mail deliverers like UPS and FedEx. I'll tell you right now, if I ever run for president, one of my platforms uh, is going to be basically stripping UPS and FedEx of <laughs> all of its assets and, uh, I don't know, basically... Beefing up the Postal Service. Yeah, just, US get, postal just, service. just taking their planes and giving them to the Postal Service. Yeah. There's no reason these companies <laughs> need to be around. Anyways, we want to fix this problem, repeal that law, and just enact postal banking. There, it's fixed, and mail carriers can just deliver the mail instead of also cosplaying as Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman during a future anthrax attack. Which, if you recall the post-9-11 years, postal employees literally died because of the anthrax attacks. Yes. Which, did we ever find out who did those anthrax attacks? No. <laughs> we might need to go on a deep, deep... Uh, serial style dive into this issue. We need to get Robbie Martin from Media Roots Radio on. Finally, the Trump administration is launching another attack on unions. The Labor Department is proposing a rule that would submit public sector unions to new disclosure requirements. The proposal was first floated during the George W. Bush era. It was rescinded by President Obama in 2010. Basically, it would subject public sector labor federations to rules that apply to their counterparts in the private sector. The department is citing authorities granted to it by Congress during the Cold War. The Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act was passed in 1959. Now, some criticism about unions at the time wasn't entirely unfounded, as anyone who has seen The Irishman can tell you. Please don't scream in my menchies that I'm a scab or anything. I, I don't think Jimmy Hoffa uh, was all that good. But the idea that these rules should apply now to public sector unions... It's pure management side scheming. As Bloomberg Law noted, union backers are concerned this is designed to hike the cost of compliance in some of the most union-friendly sectors of the economy. In an age when conservatives are already straining themselves to attack public sector unions, of course, in 2018, the Supreme Court issued its opinion in Janus versus AFSCME, 
which found that public sector unions cannot charge non-members for bargaining fees only, while the ruling did not have as damaging an impact as conservatives would have liked, it was definitely designed to approve of free riding to starve unions of resources. And if anyone remembers the uh, slow motion nightmare that was Trump's election and the many months that preceded it, you'll know that the uh, Janus decision actually probably should have happened in 2016. And then Antonin Scalia died like a bitch. (laughs) And on that, the newscast ends, as you can hear by the poetry music starting up. Time to read a haiku for a new subscriber on patreon.com slash district sentinel. Five bucks a month. You get access to all the bonus content, plus your own poem written for you and read on the air. This is for Benjamin, the only recipient of a haiku today. Here, this poetry is for you, Benjamin. Go to the blacksmith. Ask him if he will clean gunk from my grinder. <laughs> Thank you, Benjamin. Sure, a good blacksmith would understand and oblige. I would hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure what other business they have these days. <laughs> Thanks again to Benjamin. Thanks to all the new subscribers on Patreon. Before we go, let's check out the listener rant line. Hey Sam, hey Sam, it's Devin from California. Y'all were talking about Obamacare, and uh, this weekend, after three years buying a private plan on Covered California. I decided to withdraw from health insurance because my premium was going to go up from 286 bucks a month to 360 for a dog shit plan with a $6,900 deductible. Jesus. So it was going to be like, before I got any coverage, I was going to spend 16% of my annual income on health insurance, like two and a half months of paychecks. So I was like, fuck it. And then I went on Facebook to bitch about it and called Obama a neoliberal shill and said Medicare for all or bust. And a couple of liberals, like, jumped down my throat for attacking our allies. And, like, they were like, oh, well, Obama tried and the Republicans ruined it. And if if you're too extreme, we won't get anything. And, you know, we need incremental change. <laughs> like, I like, I can't handle this kind of liberal bullshit. Um, feel oh, and also, apparently, California reinstituted the individual mandate. So now, next year, I'll pay $1,600 in tax bills to not have health care instead of 4500 in premium bills to not have health care. So, like, super good system, very good society. Um, I donated to the Bernie campaign <laughs> after all this went down. Uh, and I guess we'll have some more money to do that next year because I won't be paying for health insurance that I don't have. So, uh, anyway, wanted to blow up some steam. Uh, thanks for all you do, guys. Thanks for the call, Devin. Uh, sounds like a fucking nightmare with... The tiny silver lining that our disaster healthcare system might be radicalizing people into Bernie Sanders supporters. Yeah, I really I don't understand how someone could hear uh, the story you just described and not sympathize. Uh, I know Facebook can be a bit of a black hole of 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 anything good, but it really is jarring that liberals uh, and centrists just sort of hear these criticisms of Obamacare as a system pumping you for money yeah. for for private health care, for private health insurance that is working to deny you your coverage, yeah. even though it takes hundreds of your dollars every fucking month. And 
I it just I just want to tie myself into a fucking knot of despair just here just hearing the pushback you got for that. And it's in that we're in in that really bad time of the year where open enrollment is underway, so you have people who are posting just these these terrible situations they find themselves in as they're making their choice for healthcare that that Pete Buttigieg thinks is so important. Uh, if you're on Twitter on my timeline, I'm seeing people post all the time. Uh, how awful these choices are, and that's being coupled with completely tone-deaf dipshit politicians like Barack Obama talking about, hey, time to sign up. This is how easy it is, see? Or Pete Buttigieg being like, well, I trust Americans to make their choices about their own health care. First of all, no one knows anything about health insurance. No, no one who's making these choices actually fucking knows what they're getting into. We just all know we're getting call, screwed. Call a health insurance agent to talk about your plan. They don't know about it either. They don't know. Yeah, they, and then secondly, the whole point of healthcare is that you aren't making your own choices. You, you see a doctor to make these choices for you and people tell you how dangerous it fucking is if you are trying to make your own choices about healthcare. And, and, and I just to counteract one other thing that people were telling you, which is that Obamacare sucked even when Obama was covering was in charge of the government. Like this headline that just fucking is burned in my brain is how like a week before Trump won, HHS released a report showing how all the Obamacare premiums were going up, 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 and choices yeah, were going down. Work. It doesn't fucking work! Devin, thanks for the call. Thanks for getting us fired up. Uh, good luck to you as you try to navigate this uh, nightmare country we live in. If you uh, out there have a story you want to share on the rant line, call it 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We'll play it on air. We're back tomorrow. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.